now. Scotland's talking. Call 0333 2020 401 and join the debate. Hello, good morning, and welcome to Scotland's Talking, the first of 2019. And on the show this morning, did you ever think you'd hear doctors saying this? People do not choose to become fat. It is something you have the genetics that you're born to, and then it's the environment that we live in. That's the boss of the Royal College of Physicians, who thinks it's time we started treating obesity like any other disease. Now, is that a breakthrough in helping people who struggle with their weight, or is it just making excuses? I don't see myself as suffering from a disease. That's because of the things that I do. I don't buy that at all. We'll listen to both sides of the argument, and then you can tell me what you think. Also, I'd like to hear your opinions on how the government is responding to the apparent increase in people using small boats to cross the Channel from France. If you do somehow make it to the UK, you know, we will do everything we can to make sure that you're ultimately not successful because we need to break that link. Do you see them as asylum seekers or illegal migrants? And what's the right way of dealing with it? And six days into 2019, have you managed to stick to your New Year resolutions? Many of us choose January to make a change for the better. My colleague Gina McKee will be joining us after 11 for a spot of life coaching. It's all coming up on Scotland's Talking. The phone lines are open now, 0333 2020 401 if you'd like to join us. Scotland's Talking, the podcast. Now, many of us may have started the new year with the intention of losing a few pounds. We may have started, or indeed, like me, we might be starting tomorrow. Uh, Some of the country's doctors say it's time to start treating obesity as a disease. The Royal College of Physicians says it's not a lifestyle choice, and they think a change in approach could help tackle the stigma. One in three adults in the UK are now classified as obese. The college president, Andrew Goddard, says it's time to recognise that some people cannot help being fat. Over the past years, we've become more and more aware about the damage that obesity does to people's bodies in a biological way. We've come to realise that obesity isn't a lifestyle choice. It's something that people have a genetic predisposition to, and it depends on the environment that we live in. Recognising it as a disease allows people to understand that they have a disease and removes the stigma, or certainly reduces the stigma, of having obesity. One of the challenges we've got in the UK is that because we don't put enough of our time and effort into managing obesity, because we currently don't recognise it as a disease, we don't treat people as well as we could. Let's compare ourselves to France, for example. They do 60,000 obesity operations per year which we know improves lives, reduces diabetes and reduces costs to their health services. 60,000 a year. We do 6,000 a year. For some reason, we still see obesity as a lifestyle choice. People do not choose to become fat. It is something you have the genetics that you're born to and then it's the environment that we live in. So that was the college president, Andrew Goddard. David Bucks from health think tank, the King's Fund, and he disagrees. I'm slightly overweight, I think, according to government statistics, maybe more than that. I don't see myself as suffering from a disease. That's because of the things that I do, the environment in which I live, my lifestyle. So obesity for me as a condition is not a disease. I don't buy that at all. 
So do you agree with the doctors or are they just giving people the opportunity to make an excuse? Yes, I'm fat because of a disease I've got. Uh, let's talk to Margaret, who's been going to Overeaters Anonymous group meetings for over 25 years. Margaret, a very good morning to you. Good morning. How are you this morning? I'm just fine, thank you. Just fine. Right, OK. So tell us about Overeaters Anonymous and, and, and what are your thoughts on what the, the doctors are now saying? Well, I can, I can only speak for myself personally and my experience with Overeaters Anonymous. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I first encountered Overeaters Anonymous many years ago when I was living in Canada. And um, when, the first meeting I went to and I read... Uh, the materials. I realised that I, that I was home. That was I had a problem with eating. That, but I, I felt I'm not alone. There's other people who have this problem um, because there are people I believe who can eat and overindulge at Christmas or other times of the year. But for me, my experience with food was that once I took certain foods into my mouth, that I couldn't stop. It was a compulsion to overeat, and uh, it was very distressing for me. But it, it took me to great lengths. I could um, be out in the middle of the night looking for uh, a shop that was open to buy the food, my my own personal trigger food. Now, as I say, I can only speak for myself. Other people may have other triggers, but in my many years of attending meetings, I've heard people very distressed, both men and women, who claim to have the same problem as myself, um, that once they start eating certain foods, that they can't stop. And um, some of them, it leads them to uh, bulimia, um, certainly obesity. There's all sorts of problems that come and physical problems that come with that. I've spoke to people that are 600 pounds and can't stop eating. Um, So I think that, you know, there's diet clubs and things for people that can help people who are normal, so-called normal, people who can eat and overindulge at times. But Overeaters Anonymous is a a place where people go where they're they're past the normal eating. They just can't um, uh, stop once they start um, indulging in those trigger foods, whatever they are. What type of trigger foods were you, or, or what foods triggered you, triggered you that you, you know, you said there that you'd be out hunting for somewhere through the night, you know, I yeah. mean, uh, uh, what, what type of things? Uh, sugar things, um, uh, highly sugared things, um, chocolate, um, cakes, um, yeah, white white sugar right. um, with flour and mixed with flour, things like that. Now, can I say that, like myself, and I, I can only speak for myself, that once you start overeating on those trigger foods, anything, it's a free-for-all, you know. You're kind of looking, it, it's not just, almost sugar triggers for me, it's a trigger for me. But I can overindulge in other things as well um, if I can stay away from sugar. But that's very, very difficult for people who have um, this this compulsion. So it's very similar, I believe, to EE, from which OE um, sort of has 
did I from. Um, that, you know, there's a phenomena of craving that comes once you've actually indulged in mm-hmm. uh, these trigger foods. So the, the, the thoughts there of Andrew Goddard saying that it's about time we recognise that some people, um, this is a disease, did, did that come as... A, a bit of a relief to you? Did you think to yourself, at last, somebody's taking this seriously? Or how did you feel when you heard this? Well, I, I and and um, several people that belong to my particular group um, and others, you know, always a, a worldwide organisation, and they've been asking for years that the, the medical profession recognise um, obesity, overeating, as a medical problem, as, as that, you know, to be recorded as such. So it, it's a kind of belief that they're recognising it, but it's no surprise. Mm-hmm. And how, wh- which stage of your life are you at now? You, you obviously depend uh, fairly heavily on, on OA. You, 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 yes. Um, so where are you? Is, is this going to, is it helping you? Are you, are you getting better? Is, are you losing weight? Are you still putting it on? Well, I, I, I have other um, medical factors in my life just now, so I would say I'm staying pretty steady. But, but are these other medical factors due to your weight? Some people would say yes, that's mm-hmm. possible, yes. Um, and uh, yes, certainly lots of people who go to OA have medical factors because of, of uh, their overeating. But I would say that within myself, I am... Um, much more at peace, uh, much because I I do come together regularly with other people who are able to identify with my particular problem, um, and and there is a comfort in that, in knowing that there's other people out there and that we can help one another. That um, you know, if I phone and speak to someone and say they I've got this craving today, blah blah blah, we can talk about it. You know, right? Uh, so there's a comfort in that. But we do believe that it's a lifelong condition. It's not something that we can go get a pill for and and then it'll disappear. Um, you know, we'll take it for the pill for six months or we'll take, you know, therapy for a year and it'll be gone. It is, we feel, a lifelong condition. Um, that, so we, we would continue to, uh, to go to OA um, to for help because right. really the medical profession haven't really done anything and have not recognised that it is a, a physical condition that we suffer from. Margaret, thank you very much indeed for talking to us this morning and giving us your side of it. I've uh, been going to Overeaters Anonymous group meetings for, for over 25 years. As I say, thank you very much indeed for joining us uh, today. Maybe now um, your doctors will take it seriously when it's coming from the, the Royal College of Physicians. Uh, thank you. Uh, Sandra, how are you? Hi, I'm fine, thanks. Good, thanks. good, good. Right, I'll give you a wee bit of history about my eating um, problem. I was a minority obese child in the 70s, minority. I was raised in an abusive, alcoholic home, so I mirrored with food what my family done with drink. So I hoarded food, I ate food, and I done the same. I used food for comfort and solace to get me through an abusive childhood. And people, dinner ladies, broken biscuits then out of shops, steel buns, chipped fruit, that was all the stuff I got. 
I was sent round the whole circuit when I was 14 to dietitians because I was grossly overweight. Mm-hmm. I was hospitalised in psychiatric units, seen many psychiatrists, and my weight soared and soared and soared, but I was using food as an alcoholic uses drink. So that's what I've seen in my childhood. I became 27 and a half stone. 27 and a half stone. And I had my child, my first child, 22 years ago. And when he was two years old in 2000, I got the opportunity to have my stomach stapled and a band put in it. And that was when these operations were new and coming out. And I got taken in six months. And if, you, if somebody at 27 stone who can't bend or kneel and is told they're going to have diabetes and heart problems and has got a wee baby at two-year-old and somebody says to you, I'll get you thin, a doctor, you will take that. You will take yeah. it. And I've been in fellowship. I've been in Overeater since I was 22 years old, so I'm 52 now for 30 years. I had my operation. Since that operation... I have had 29 hospital admissions with dehydration and vomiting. I have had anemia problems. I have to have iron injections. I've got calcium deficiency. I've got problems with my teeth. And I vomit most days. And my operation is now being banned. The operations treat the symptoms and not the cause. Now, in 2006, I wrote a book about my morbid obesity. And that my weight, I don't weigh myself now. I must be, I'm a size 10 to 12. But it's not just about the weight, Ali. It's the food choices, the manufacturing food industry, the choices we have now with food. You know, it's the excitotoxins in the food. They excite the brain, and the brain needs more. McDonald's, takeaways. When I was a child, we only had fish and chips on a Friday. That was a treat. But I got food other ways. I was a minority obese child. You've got social work departments now intervening and taking children off your parents because they're morbidly obese. Now, where does it stop? Where does it stop? My fat was about my feelings and thoughts. That's what the word fat means for me. I was eating over my distress of childhood, and that continued, and I was mimicking what the adults around me were doing. I just had an interview with the Mental Welfare Commissioner who's doing a commission about eating disorders and obesity. I have paid thousands and thousands of pounds on therapy um, to try and address, it's not, just the, it's not just the obesity with a lot of people, it's compulsive comfort eating. It's, they're doing it like taking mm-hmm. drugs, like taking drink, and it just doesn't lie with the medical professional. You've got social workers, you've got the whole sphere. You have to do a lifeti- lifestyle change. I have to cook food in, in, in advance. I'm making a pot of soup a day. That'll last me a week. I have to blend food still because of my operation. And I'm not on here to promote operations, Ali, because they've given me more problems, I would say. And maybe I'm a bigger strain but I try and take vitamins, nutrition. I'm still riddled with arthritis. I was carrying 20-odd stone for 30-odd years. Mm-hmm. So that's not going to go away. No, operations. no. It's, it's, it's things that have happened to you over the, the years that will now um, manifest itself in arthritis and hips and knees and all that type and, of stuff, and isn't Ali, it? look at people. They want a quick fix solution. My surgeon says to me, before I went under that knife, he says, I'll get you thin. I says, well, you'll be the only man that has. 
And that was his job, Ali. But it was a device inside me that got me thin. But my head's still hungry. My emotions are still hungry. My behaviours may act out, you know, and doing what I've done with the food, you know. It's, 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 so you have to do a whole lifestyle change. And bear in mind, I've lived with this now. I've had this operation. I got in 2019 years into this. And it's not just, I go to another fellowship because I have to look at why I ate and what led me to eat and go and unravel all that, you know. And, and at the end of the day, you know, I've seen many consultant psychiatrists and, and the cost and all that because they were looking at me. They didn't know a lot about compulsive eating. Compulsive eating is a condition. It's the same as alcoholism and drug taking. You know, you get the same hits at the food. You know, it's mm -hmm. a sugar hit you get. Yeah, it's an 18-minute yeah. hit at sugar, mm -hmm. you know. And, and you know, I went on to write a book about it and I gave most of the proceeds to that book to a mental health charity because my... Eating was about emotional and mental stuff. But it manifested. My body became 27 stone. Yes, the medical profession can give you these operations, but Ali, you can put the weight all back on. You can eat chocolate. You can eat ice cream. You can eat all these things. I've managed to maintain a weight, but, but, but at a high, high price. You know? Sandra, thank you very much indeed for, for lifting the phone and giving us a call and telling us your story. We're talking uh, this morning about the Royal College of Physicians saying it's not a lifestyle choice, obesity, and they think a change in approach could help tackle the stigma. One in three adults in the UK are now classified as obese. If you'd like to get in touch, 033-2020-401 is the number. You're listening to Scotland's Talkin', the podcast. Join the conversation on Twitter at Scotland's Talkin'. What do you think of the government's handling of the migrants trying to cross the channel to get into the UK? We've seen the word crisis banded about. The Home Secretary declared a major incident and cut back as Christmas holidays to come home and take charge of the response. A lot was made of that as well. More border force vessels are being deployed and a warship is being sent to patrol the south coast as well. We're told that last year, 539 people made the crossing, with the majority coming in the last three months. It's been suggested part of the reason is a tightening of security around ferry ports and the Channel Tunnel in France and people traffickers exploiting them. Two people have been arrested, one British and one Iranian, on suspicion of involving in organised crossings. Sanjay David visited Dover last week to defend the government's response, and he questioned the motives of some of the people who are being picked up. We know of uh, at least 539 migrants last year that attempted through small boats to, to cross the channel. Uh, of those, uh, about 80% was just in the last uh, three months. So we've seen a real step change in attempts in the last three months. And uh, we want to make sure that we are doing everything we can to try and stop that. You know, people shouldn't be taking this very, very dangerous journey. And if they do, we also need to send a very strong message uh, that you won't succeed. If you are a genuine asylum seeker, then why have you not sought asylum in the first safe country that you arrived in? 
uh, because you know you take France is a is 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 not a country where uh, anyone would argue is is not safe in any way whatsoever. And uh, if you are genuine, then why not uh, seek asylum in your first safe country? If you do somehow make it to the UK, you know, we will uh, do everything we can to 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 make sure that you are ultimately not successful because we need to break that link. And to break that link, it means that we can save more lives. And when he said that, he was quite heavily criticised by some of the opposition members and and uh, even some of his own party. And, 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 you know, saying, oh, no, you, you can't say that. You can't ask them why they didn't seek asylum in the first safe country. Why not? You know, he's he's trying to sort it out. We, you know, we're, we're here saying, wait a minute, we're using up resources here. Um, and, and, you know, I, I was reading the other day that somebody suggested that when the boats uh, from the UK, uh, when our safety boats pick them up, they should just take them straight back to France and drop them off there uh, instead of bringing them back into Britain. What are your thoughts? Uh, is the government handling this in the right way, do you think? Or is it a bit of an overreaction in the way that, you know, we're not talking about lots and lots of people? But they, when you, you read some of the uh, news stories on this and the money that they've parted with to do this, to come over and, and put their lives at risk. So what way is the government um, tackling this? Are they tackling it correct? Or is it diverting attention from other issues? What do you think? How do you think we should treat people who are risking their lives to cross the sea? Ways you can get in contact. The phone number 033-2020-401. You can text. The text number is 61054. Start your message with Ali. That's A-L-L-Y. That gets straight through to us and we'll find out what you're saying on those in a few moments. As always, of course, you can catch up with us on email. My email address is Ali. That's A-L-L-Y. At radio, at uh, the greatest hits, sorry, the greatest hits, uh, and, of course, you can get us on Twitter as well. Hashtag Scotland's Talking. Those are the ways you get in contact. If you've got a comment, you think you have a better way of doing it, or, indeed, you think the government are getting absolutely correct, then do let us know. Love to hear from you. It's as simple as that. Um, here's one on the last subject that we were talking about there, and that was uh, obesity. There's a, a note in on the... Um, Text from G in Edinburgh. Ali, good morning. It's simple. If you eat, I'm not going to use the word he said, but if you eat rotten food, you'll feel rotten. Eat well, feel and look well. I speak from experience. That's fine. That's, that's, I can understand your thoughts on that. But we're talking here, as we were talking about earlier on, talking to a couple of uh, ladies there, to, to Margaret and to Sandra, um, and, and they have a compulsion for eating, though, gee. You know, the, the, and, and now doctors are saying it should be treated as, as a disease. Or one of the doctors are saying that. Other ones are not so, so sure. That, but, you know, I, and it's, it's easy to say, I got another one in there later on there saying that um, the Overeater Anonymous crop, that's just a load of people getting together comforting themselves as to why they eat. Stop eating and you won't be fat. Scotland's talking, first one of 2019, talking so far uh, about immigrants and also about obesity. 
and uh, some comments coming through on all the social medias regarding the obesity. And, and generally, there doesn't seem to be an awful lot of sympathy for those who are overweight. And that's after the boss of the Royal College of Physicians uh, thinks it's time we started treating obesity like any other disease. And he says, you know, that it's about time people were treated that way by doctors, uh, but not getting a lot of support uh, on your comments and social media for that. We'll continue that into the next hour. And also in the next hour, if you've made a particular resolution for the new year uh, to get fit or indeed to think more positive, uh, Gina McKee, my colleague, will be joining us uh, after 11 o'clock um, She's a life coach as well as a broadcaster. So what is a life coach? What does she do? We'll find out more after the news at 11. Scotland's Talking, the podcast. So this is Scotland's Talking, first one of 2019. Is it New Year, New You? When the clock struck midnight on Hogmanay, were you making a promise to yourself to make a change in 2019? If you've made a resolution, why not share it with us? Maybe getting it out there on the radio will help you stick to it. You know, if you come on and say, here's my resolution, and this is what I'm going to do for 2019. And that's you committed to it. So give us a call now. If you have made a resolution, let me know what it is. 0333 2020 401. My colleague Gina McKee has spent a lot of time, when she's not on air talking hot air, she's thinking about what makes us tick. Things like self-confidence, learning to overcome our fears and why it's good to sometimes be the one saying no. Good morning, Gina. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Ali. I'm so excited to chat to you. I, I, I can understand. You're not used to big audiences. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hang on to take that dagger out my back. That was good. <laughs> Listen, a life coach, is that what you describe yourself as? You've always been a bit airy-fairy. So what is a life coach about anyway? Well, I wouldn't describe myself as a life coach. In fact, the other day I was online. I'm always interested in, in learning, and that's how, that's how we move on, you know, by, by learning. And I saw a course, uh, Become a Life Coach, and I think it was £25 or something. And this is the problem, is that there are millions and millions of life coaches out there, and some of them, some of them genuinely doing amazing change work. And then there are others that perhaps just don't maybe have the experience or, or the knowledge that I think those that really are making a difference are the ones that have invested in themselves and continue to learn and study. So I would be really wary of someone that pops up to say, hey, I'm a life coach. I first of all would ask, what's your experience and you know what are your qualifications? Mm. I'm forever learning. I started a course last year on cognitive behavioural therapy and that's another interesting the therapy. What? Give us that again. <laughs> CBT for short. So it's cognitive behavioural therapy and it's how we how we think, how we process information. So I, I was, as you know, I mean, you've known me for a long time, Ali, and I've always been interested in personal development and self-help. And now that industry is absolutely booming. It's a huge industry. And I think we're we're all we're all teachers, we're all life coaches to a certain extent. You don't necessarily need the, the big certificate to say, yeah, hey, yeah. you know. You, you do hear of some people saying... And- and, and, you know, I've heard and, you know, people saying, I've got a life coach or I've got my, my own personal trainer and we've got this and we've got that. It has become big business, hasn't it? 
Oh, yeah, it's huge. This morning I was looking at the, the, the top-selling books of our time that we should be reading just now. This is in self-help. Uh, mine's not on there yet, but <laughs> um, I came across actually a book that I heard you talking earlier on about obesity. There are millions of books out there connected to dieting. Mm-hmm. I personally don't like the word diet. Take away the word tea and what do you have? It's not good. I believe in having a healthy lifestyle. I would recommend for the, I think the lady you were talking about earlier on, Deepak Chopra, who is a wonderful doctor, an advocate of alternative medicine. He's got a book out and it's called What Are You Hungry For? Now this is all about your relationship with food and naturally what you've got to look at for anyone that has got any kind of you know issues with, with food is your relationship with food. And that's also what life is about really is your relationship with everything, you know, your relationship with yourself, with your partner, um, if you're spiritual, whatever it might be. But this, I haven't read this book, but I love his work and I think that will be an interesting book, certainly if you've got any kind of rela- relationship issues, you know, with your food. I know just now it seems to be the big book is Dr. Mosley's, uh, I think it's the, the Fast 800 now, this is the guy, of course, who developed the 5-2 diet. He wrote that book, I think, six years ago. And it's an interesting book. It's all about intermittent fasting. And we know our bodies know how to do that. It, for me, it's far too difficult to stick to, especially mm-hmm. in this sort of, you know, day and age. Um, we are limited to X amount of calories. The Fast 800 plan, from what I can gather, is he has come up with 800 calories. That's the magic number for X amount of days. I think it's maybe eight weeks that you uh, do this and it regulates your blood sugar levels. It kind of gets you back on track, perhaps, for having a healthy lifestyle. So you've got to pick the right book and, and the right therapist and the right person. You've got to pick for what's you. right for you. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, the sense would tell you that. You know, it's. it's it's all right, somebody coming out with a book and selling it to newspapers and all that type of stuff, but you've still got to say to yourself, is this the one for me? You know, that, that's that's what I... I mean, I, I've been on more diets than... Um, you know, I just now don't bother. You know, I, I live life and, uh, you know, it's it's um, it's okay. I, I, don't, I don't need to go into heavy diets, I don't think. I, my, I was with my friend yesterday and she has, has type 2 diabetes and she was talking about the, how she couldn't wait to get home and she said, I, I won't tell my doctor next week, she said, but I'm just going to divulge a whole box of chocolates. And I, I was talking to her about her mindset and I said, you have to change that mindset. All she could think of was going home and she knew she was going to suffer this morning, obviously from having had you know, all these chocolates. And she's told me at some, a couple of years ago, she actually reversed uh, through her diet. She went off to to a, a retreat in Malta and she completely you know reversed our, our lifestyle and also and then no longer suffered from you know type 2 diabetes that's amazing the body has an amazing way of of healing itself if you give it time and you invest in yourself but most of the time you know we just plop whatever in our mouth and, and we hope for the best but you are you, what you eat from what you're saying then she she reversed it but she's gone back again yeah, because she doesn't have the mindset and you have to have the mindset. So for anyone that has any kind of or suffer from any kind of, you know, addiction problems, they will tell you that it all starts in the mind. It's your mindset. You've got to have the right approach. Absolutely. Otherwise, ultimately, you will fail. There's no two ways about that. Mentally, you have to be tuned into I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And this is it. This is how it will happen. I've got that. Um, you mentioned, because I didn't, you mentioned <laughs> your book. Yeah. I haven't read it because I, I sleep quite well at nights and <laughs> don't need a book. To, so what's it all about then? Come on, tell us about your book. Well, it's a collection of inspirational material that I have written over the years. So things like, um, you know, investing in yourself, the power of confidence, or I heard you saying earlier on, you mentioned you know, the power of saying no. 
it's I really believe that I mean first of all I would say the book is not groundbreaking you're not going to pick up this book and go wow it's changed my life if it does hurrah fantastic but it's a personal book for me and I talk a little bit about you know my own journey um for the past 20 odd years I haven't studied self-development and this book will save you time and money if you don't want to go off to all the self-help seminars perhaps that I've attended I mean I've spent probably I would say maybe nearly 15,000 pounds in attending various seminars and, and learning really? um so yeah yeah, yeah. Has, it, has it been worth it? Yes, definitely. Right, and okay. I would, as I say, continue to learn. But mm-hmm. probably my, my first experience, and I don't necessarily want to come on and you know talk about the book, but my first experience of, of self-help was Jack Black. Do you remember Jack Black? I remember, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I remember sitting in a room and thinking, wow, this guy was amazing. He was on stage and talking about how you could change your life, etc., and have a better life. And I really felt inspired listening to him. But also, I'm a curious person, or you might say nosy cow, but I'm curious. And I remember thinking, well, where did he get all his learning from? Who did he study? And that then led me into looking at neuro-linguistic programming, NLP, which is quite a big thing now. Um, I went off to do seminars with Richard Bandler, co-creator of NLP. Then that led me to Tony Robbins, the American guru, although there's a program on Netflix just now and it's called I'm Not Your Guru, so he would say he's not a guru. But in terms of if you Google anything to do with self-help motivation, Tony Robbins Say I, he's right up there. And I, I met Tony Robbins several years ago and did a firewalk with Tony Robbins. I it remember was, that. I remember yeah, that. Yeah, it was amazing. It was an amazing experience. So at some point, I guess last year, I thought, wow, I've written a lot of things along the way. I, I've worked with a lot of private clients with change work. I've studied counselling, hypnotherapy, uh, NLP, obviously. And I kind of just wanted to bring all that together and come up with if you like like devise my own little program to help people boost their confidence believe in themselves and and really kind of figure out who you are you know most of the time we just kind of plow on with our lives but we never actually take time out in fact there is a a chapter in the book called just take the time out and invest in yourself someone once said to me Gina you're always on the go I know and he said you need to really figure out what you want in your life at this point I wasn't maybe in a great place and he said go and sit in a park bench and just sit connect with nature and I thought this guy was off his you know, rocker. What? I'm sitting on a park bench on my own. Anyway, one day I did and it was the most amazing experience ever. It wasn't about I'm off to another country to find myself. It was about just taking the time out, sitting on my own, not being around anyone else and actually figuring out what do I really want? Who am I? Where am I going? And these are, you know, simple questions, but they're big questions if you want to be happy in your life. The ultimate goal is always happiness. So it doesn't matter what you, what you do or what you want to do, whether it's your job, people, you know, when your head hits that pillow at night, you want to be content and you want to be happy. And for me, that's the ultimate goal. Okay. Um, you can stay with us for a few moments, yes? Yes, Great. absolutely. Oh, well, that's a sad thing. <laughs> <laughs> She'll be back. I've got more to say. Yeah, thought that somehow or other. <laughs> Scotland's talking 27 minutes now after 11. Being the first talking of 2019, very much looking to uh, New Year resolutions, losing weight, or indeed, as we were talking about, obesity earlier on as well. Uh, with me at the moment is Gina McKee. And Gina, as we heard, has spent a lot of time and money when she's not on air thinking about what makes us tick. Um, Gina, in one of the... Um, uh, areas that you explore in your book is it's not just 
facing your fear or how to overcome fears. You, you've, you've looked at things like overcoming grief, the law of attraction, the power of mm. saying no. Uh, this is all coming from your own experiences then. Yeah, from my own experience and also from having worked with um, people. I mean, facing your fear, for example, I'll tell you a quick story because I love to tell a story. When I had not long qualified as a hypnotherapist, I was desperate to get out there, you know, not necessarily Paul McKenna style and, you know, cure cure the world, but I, I wanted to know if it actually worked and if I could do the work. And I met a lady and, in fact, I worked with this lady, but I won't uh, share her name. She might be listening. And she came to me and she said, there's a bridge that I can't cross. I had a really you know, bad accident on this uh, bridge. And I still okay. And she said, I haven't crossed it for two years. I was amazed that she had not crossed. She used to go the long way home because she could not cross this um, bridge. Really? Yeah. So I said, I tell you what, come come round to me. And I just bought a chaise long at the time, you know, bought into all the props off what it would be to be a hypnotherapist. I said, come round and we'll do some change work. So I don't, again, this is personal belief, believe in one or therapy, lots of therapists will maybe say, okay, let's book you in for four or five sessions. It'll be a one hour appointment. I personally don't work like that. I will work with someone and probably until they're so exhausted, they say, okay, I'll face my fear. I'll, uh, yeah, I'll cross the bridge or I'll touch the spider, whatever it might be. Now, from experience, this has worked for me and it has worked for clients. So this lady came around probably about four or five hours work and she left. The next day she called me and she said, Gina, I didn't cross the bridge once. I crossed it 10 times. So she went back and forward, back and forward. And I asked her, I said, you know, feedback is a wonderful thing. And I said, okay, what do you really think worked? Was it at the time I was quite into Reiki? So was it the Reiki? Was it the hypnotherapy? Was it, you know, the talking? And she said it was just the belief. She said somewhere the penny dropped and it was the belief that I could do it. And I think most of the time we've all got the tools within us. And sometimes you just need a little help in hand. So most of the people I've ever worked with or have come across or have made great changes in their life, they've pretty much done it themselves. They've just needed a wee helping hand along the way. I remember so, getting a little helping hand as well from, I don't know if you remember, I used to do uh, a television programme and uh, it was all about uh, different subjects every week. A bit like you're talking about, it was on television. Um, <laughs> don't know why they gave it up. Back in the day. <laughs> back in the day, back in the day. <laughs> but I was asked, would I be regressed um, because they were asking uh, the question on that particular week was, is there something there after death? And, and uh, they knew that I had certain beliefs. Anyway, I, mm-hmm. I, I got put back into um, previous life and uh, this was all filmed and various things happened and my previous life, I won't bore everybody with that. But at the end of it, the lady said to me who had regressed me, she said, and while I was still under, she says, now is there anything that you want to do that you can't do? At the moment, I said, yeah, I can't play golf. Um, and, and, and this is while I was under. I said, I can't play it because I can't hold the golf club terribly well uh, because I've got, I broke all my fingers in one hand uh, falling off a ladder once. And they, they don't bend fully. And, and you know, they, they just sit there. And she she did a, a healing on it. And, and since then, I've been able to, to bend my fingers and everything. And I said, also, there's a lot of clothes in my wardrobe that I can't get into. I could do with losing some weight. And she said something, and that's fine. When I was on my way home, I phoned home and said, uh, I'm coming home. Do you want a, a takeaway brought in? Yes, was the answer. I walked into a Chinese takeaway. I ordered the food for my wife. 
and I ordered nothing for myself. <laughs> and, that, and that went on for weeks. I wouldn't touch anything that I didn't, that I thought was, wow. you know, and I lost a few pounds. And it came to just getting that extra push, just needing that little bit of help. Somebody in there was telling my mind, no, you don't need that spring roll and chicken curry. You just go home and have something sensible. And that worked for a wee while. And equally, one would argue that, you know, that was your mindset. Something inside of you, just, you know, the penny drops and you thought, actually, do I need this? It's it's questioning things. I, I worked with a chap and he lost three stone. Um, and he would say it was all down to hypnotherapy. And it wasn't. We, all, we would always chat beforehand before we would do a session. And he was so excited. What he didn't do over a period of time, he put you know weight, the weight back on was he didn't stick to it and it's exactly what you've just said it's consistency and and that's why diets are a hard thing to to follow you've got to, if you're going to make a change you've got to be committed to it and you have to stick to it and I know like this month I think um, well there's all sorts of names for January but I think veganuary I keep hearing this is, yeah. is the buzzword so I'm not a vegan I believe in a little bit of everything I, I again explore these things and uh, there's a documentary on Netflix just now and it's called Cowspiracy. If you never want to eat meat again, then <laughs> then watch that programme. <laughs> but I think it's been educated, isn't it? You have to educate yourself yeah, with, with you know what you eat. Someone said to me the other day, uh, talking about plant-based food, and there's a well-known, let's see, what would you say, well-known uh, organisation that are now doing all these plant-based foods. And someone said, plants have got feelings too. Now, whether you believe that or not, <laughs> plants have got feelings. What are we going to be left to eat in the world? That's right, you could you could go on forever. Hang on for a minute because Willie's on the phone. Willie, hello. Hello, Ali. How the Happy devil New are you? Year. Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year. So, have oh, you... I'm fu- sorry, Ali. I was going to say, have you got a New Year's resolution then? Yes, um, it's nothing spectacular, nothing uh, out of the world. Basically, I have resolved that every now and then, or maybe even more than now and then. I will uh, take the vegetarian option. Really? Uh, yeah, uh, it's not that I'm turning veggie. I still enjoy uh, um, meat, but uh, I've, I've discovered that I, I do enjoy the vegetarian option. Uh, instead of having a pie or a bridie, uh, I'll, I'll just have the vegetarian uh, option or a salad now. Uh, not all the time, but but uh, frequently enough to make a wee difference. So, so Greg's bringing out a vegan sausage roll just in time for you, then? No, that I wouldn't touch with a barge ball. <laughs> 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 but uh, no, basically, I I have been fortunate enough in the last couple of years to lose a bit of weight and keep it off, and that followed a stern warning from. Uh, a doctor at Nine Wells as to consequences of it didn't. Right. Um, I actually had a, a, a medical on Christmas Eve, and if it had it been a year or two ago, they'd have thrown me out the door. But but this year, um, everything was in, in, as it should be. My blood sugars, everything is is fairly fairly good, and I want to keep it that way. And uh, I found that. Just be basic changes now and again helps me do that. And are you in the right mindset, as Gina would say, to to carry this through? Well, when the doctor tells you to your face that uh, if you don't change what you're doing within a year or year and a half, you're going to be 
brought in in a trolley uh, and yeah. uh, as an emergency case, either a stroke or a heart attack. Yes, uh, only a fool would not do that. Unfortunately, Willie, there's a lot of people who don't. Gina, that's that's a good mm. move from Willie, then, isn't it? But yeah. be, again, being being encouraged to do that by by his own health. Yeah, definitely. And I think, as as Willie said, you know, when the, when the doctor's telling you it's about time you give yourself a good shake and hang on, you know, you are in control of your own health. And uh, how admirable of you to to come on and share that, Willie. I think that's fantastic as well. And good on you for you know the small changes will make the big difference long term. And I'll uh, tell you. One big change. I mean, anyone who knows me knows Mm -hmm. that I am a mince pie freak. The whole of December I spend eating mince pies normally. Uh, I just, it's an addiction for me, or it was. But this year I've ate my mince pies, but not in the same numbers. And I've thoroughly enjoyed myself, but I haven't uh, gone OTT the way I used to. I mean... At this time of year, I would normally have a stack of about 15 packets of steak pie to do me the rest, uh, as long as I could could make them last, having bought them in the the shops at reduced prices because they're off the shelves after Christmas. But this year, I walked around those supermarkets and ignored them. Well, I I really felt good. We look forward to an update in about three months' time from you then, Willie, Okay. Oh, no bother, Ali, no bother. All the best. Thank you very much indeed. So a, a good move there. Once again, if you've made a New Year's resolution uh, and you need help to stick to it, as Gina was saying, come on the radio and tell us what it is. And, um, you know, it just may help you then. You know, you've got to, to stick to it. We want to report in a, a two or three months' time. Or treble three twenty twenty four oh one. Uh Going back to, to your book, The Power of Saying No is one chapter. What's that about, Gina? Exactly, exactly what Willie said there. You know, going into supermarkets, seeing all those mince pies, and then saying no. You know, that is wow. You know, it would be the same as perhaps um, you know someone has a an issue with alcohol and walking down the 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 aisle that's you know <laughs> throwing the wine at you and the booze, you know, etc. That's a strong mindset to walk down that aisle and say I don't need this. So the power of saying no comes from again my own experience. I was always a yes person, and you know, would walk into let's say a department store, it's so easy to to sell to. The assistant would say, Oh gosh, this little bit of blusher, that little lipstick. Oh, you look great. Would you like to buy it? And I would find myself suddenly saying yes. One day I decided I'm going to leave my bag in the car uh, with my you know, my, my purse, etc. And I'm going to go into a department store. I won't mention which one. I'm going to find all the assistants that are desperate to sell to me. And I have to say no. And it was the best thing that I've ever done, honestly, in my life. If you're a yes person, put yourself in a situation where you know you've got to say no, force yourself to do it. And in I went and I found the most, you know, purposeful assistants, if you like, that were desperate to sell to me. And well I had to say no because I had no money on me. And at first my heart was racing, I was panicking, I was thinking, well I'll run back to my car and just get the money. And I thought, no, today's the day I am going to change. I'm going to say no. And and I did. And then of course that then leads to other things, you know, how do you know do you want to go tomorrow night if you don't want to go you say no you know, don't put yourself in a situation that you're going to regret learn to say no learn to say it effectively and learn not to add to it as well it's in our culture I think especially in, in this country where we say no because the thing is and we add all this other stuff no one cares about all the other stuff when they hear the word no, no they've switched off yeah. yeah 
You can say it politely, no, no, thank you. And that's it. And it stops there. It's a great ex- exercise to do. I'm all about, you know, pushing yourself. There's a wonderful little book called Eat That Frog. And it's all about do the things you don't really want to do first and everything else will just be easier. Let's say good morning to John Carr. John, how are you? Happy New Year to you. All the best, Dali. How are you? Hello, the lovely <laughs> Gina. How are you? I'm very well, John. How are you? I'm very well. I'm busy listening to these talking about mindset. And the best one that I've ever found is to listen to your heart and not your head. First of all, your heart will tell you a lot of times different from what your head tells you. But always listen to your heart. It never tells you a lie. And the second thing is, when you wake up in the morning, if you're in a grumpy mood, change it. Change it before you leave the house. Mm-hmm. Be jolly, be nice, be happy. People notice that. It changes people. People get encouraged to talk to you. People come to you and talk to you. Because they know that when they talk to you, you're not going to be a grump. You're <laughs> going to be in a good mood. So get up and go out. Is, that's, that's a great one coming from a taxi driver. Don't be grumpy. <laughs> well, Ali, I've spoke to you many, many times on the telephone. Same with you. And I have never been grumpy. I don't, it doesn't happen. No, uh, quite right, John. Well, thank you very much indeed for your insight into mindset. There's one um, section that I just want to quickly talk to you about, Gina. So hang on. And that's yeah. how t- you, you've got a section there how to really grow your confidence. And I think yeah. that I think there's a lot of people could, could learn from that who just lack that wee bit of confidence and wonder, how, how can I be a, a little bit more confident within myself? You're listening to Scotland's Talkin', the podcast. Join the conversation on Twitter at Scotland's Talkin'. We were talking earlier on the programme about obesity and how doctors were now saying that this should be treated as a disease, or some doctors were. Louise uh, sends me an email. She's about obesity. Although I hear what the person was saying about what you eat is not always that simple. I have an underactive thyroid and despite medication, struggle to maintain a healthy weight. Also not helped by having arthritis, so I'm not as mobile as I'd like to be. So there's always the other side to look at it. Take that point, Louise. Thank you very much indeed. For, for getting in touch. And uh, Gina's here, here just uh, um, looking at her thoughts on various subjects as, as the, the one thing I've known, I, I don't know how long I've known you, many years anyway, Gina. <laughs> too long. Too long, yeah. <laughs> but um, you're always a very, you come as a very confident person. You come out as a very confident person. It's not always been the case though, is it? No, not at all. And you know, I never stick to one subject and jump back and forward at the tangent talker. Can I just go back to Louise for a second? Because I also have an underactive thyroid. And so Louise, you will take thyroxine, obviously, which is a manufactured drug. I am anti-drugs and it absolutely kills me that I have to take uh, thyroxine. But there's a lot of research, Louise, into taking thyroxine and also how you can help control your thyroid as well uh, I don't necessarily want to plug all the books but maybe have a chat or email me directly uh, and, I'll, and I'll get back to you on that so there's always room you know where you can help yourself as well and get more help you know go and speak to an endocrinologist I think it's a technical term um, and look at new ways there's certainly always new ways of helping your, your thyroid so anyway don't necessarily you've want to always, that, you've always just been no anti yeah but you've always been anti medicine I mean, you won't even take a paracetamol, will you? 
Well, I mean, you know, if I've got a hangover, let's be honest, you know, I'm a normal person. So, really? yeah, and I don't, uh, I try not to. Again, the body's got an amazing way of trying to help you heal. And it's the, the quick fix, really, when you take any kind of a drug. Of course, there are certain drugs you have to take. And I could, again, I could talk about this for hours and hours on end. One inspirational story I'll tell you quickly is a wonderful friend of mine. And she was diagnosed with breast cancer X amount of years ago. She decided she didn't want to take personal you know thoughts there she didn't want to take chemotherapy and she had to take other drugs because she you know, obviously she was sick but i think that's amazing she came through it and she didn't take chemotherapy isn't that amazing mm. so explore just because someone says you need to take something or you should take this you know my own story of having been misdiagnosed uh, with lupus is one reason why i'm so anti-drugs you know i remember sitting there with a doctor saying you need to take this drug hydroxychloroquine side effects of that hurrah no one wants to be on that drug um and some I went to see a nutritionist and it's a very, very long, complicated story. But one day this lady said to me, why don't you come off all this medication and see what happens? I did. And guess what? It all disappeared. There's more to that story. But that's why I question everything. Question absolutely everything. I think doctors must have a tough time nowadays because I am the person that if I have to go to the doctor, will go in with a whole bunch of research that I've done to say, well, if I take this, this will happen. If I take that, oh, get out, please. But you are in control of your own body. So take control and it starts with you right so again uh, that's that's all coming down to growing your own confidence isn't it to, to actually take that move that you have to be a confident person to do that I don't necessarily, I mean, confidence is a funny thing in how you really define confidence. There are so many people that I know or I think are confident and then they will say, oh, I couldn't pick up the phone and, and talk to Ali Bali on the talking show. Well, learn to do that stuff. If you're sitting just now thinking, oh, I wouldn't want to pick up the phone, I'd rather not be on air. This is the wonderful thing about radio. Well, no one can see you. Pick up the phone, pick up the phone. That is your first step to build your confidence is doing the things you don't really want to do. And then along the way, it just gets easier. So, yeah, I mean, my I, my background is I went to drama school. So I come from the, the field of getting a lot of knocks. No, you're not right for this or you're not right for that part. And a wonderful person that I follow, Brian Tracy, talks about you should live your life the SW postcode way. So SW, SW, SW. Some will, some won't, someone's waiting. You always have to believe that someone is just willing to give you the chance or you know, to help you with whatever it might be. And I really like that. You know, it opens up a whole debate on rejection and whether if we're to get all philosophical, rejection actually exists. Just move on, move on. <laughs> someone doesn't want to go out with you on a date, that's fine. Move that's on, right. they're move not right on. for you. Yeah. Don't dwell on it. Yeah, look exactly. To, look to the future, look to the future. Exactly, yeah, Absolutely. well... Again, I'm a big believer in we only ever have the moment and this is where we get stressed, I think especially when people talk about you know, the power of goal setting or where I want to be in five years' time. Wow, I could be dead in five years' time. I could be dead next week. We only actually have the now. So living in the now and that has taken control of going back to what John, the taxi driver, said earlier on, actually, and it's a wonderful piece of advice, is listen to your body. I'm big on gut instinct and listen yeah, to your yeah. heart. You can change your heartbeat with one thought. Isn't that incredible? One thought can change your heartbeat. Mm. I, I, I told you a story where we're in the middle of a a, a break there about, um, uh, and I'll put it up on, on my uh, Facebook page a little later on, but it's just that we... We have 86,400 seconds every day to live our lives. Live it positively. 
Because I love that. I want, you prom- I want you to promise right now, Ali, you're going to record this because actually you shared the story with me and I was ne- nearly greeting at the end. Well, I had my uh, wife in tears last <laughs> night reading it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I want you to video that and share it and put it out there and I will share it because it's a wonderful story and it sums up exactly what we've been talking about you know, this morning and that is live we only have the now living mm. in the now and who do you really want to call i always say this if someone i have a rule and that is i'll call someone three times if they don't call me back then i'm just not on their priority list so they're they're out i don't fall out with them i just think okay i'm just not on your priority list so maybe there's someone you're thinking about just now you think i've been meaning to call them for ages well call them because you might just make their day I also think that about families over Christmas and New Year. You know, if you've fallen out with someone in the family, you don't talk to them for whatever reason. Life's too short, you know. And from personal experience, I would say just lift the phone. Just say, hello, I'm yeah. here. I'm here. Um, I've got a, a one in here from Liz that she says, great to hear what Gina has to say about mindset. She's better than any doctor I've ever spoken to. A real genius in getting over how to face one's demons. You're wasted on the radio, Gina. No, you see, I think she's not wasted on the radio. <laughs> as I'm the one responsible for putting her there in the first place. You are, yeah, you're to blame. <laughs> uh, that was lovely words and thank you. I'm certainly not better than any other doctor. Yeah. I, I'm so, I've got so much respect for anyone that wants to help someone else. Um, I mentioned Deepak Chopra earlier on and I really love his work because he is a doctor but a huge fan of obviously alternative medicine and I think we have to always explore other avenues, just be curious in your life (laughs) Indeed, right okay, um, that's it I've got uh, a text in here from Ella and for for interested in the book Uh, for more details Ella go to ginamckee.com is that right? You know, yeah, so absolutely. Get all details yeah. there. And uh, obviously, as well, have a listen to some of Gina's podcasts because uh, she interviews some fascinating people. And you're, you're uh, back on the wireless tonight then, are you? I am. Thanks for that plug. Six o'clock. That's okay. That's okay. <laughs> get it in for you. Thank you. <laughs> away, away and enjoy your Sunday afternoon. Music and conversation. It's been Scotland's talking. Thank you very much indeed. For your calls and for your comments on social media as well, uh, I'll start or I'll keep reading some out in just uh, the next hour as well. Some of your comments. We've uh, been talking about obesity. The Royal College of Physicians says it's not a lifestyle choice, and they think a change in approach could help tackle the stigma of uh, obesity, and it should be treated as a disease. Some of your comments coming in. Uh, Agree, and very few agree, actually, um, on that. Most disagreeing and saying it is a lifestyle choice. I don't know. Uh, immigrants, uh, maybe it's not close enough to home from us, but you, you don't really pick up on this. Maybe you think it's too far away, uh, the, the, the channel problem with the immigrants coming across uh, on boats. And it's, it's, you know, a lot was made of the, the Home Secretary. Every news bulletin that you read, uh, or, or, or indeed were watching television or wherever, were stating the fact that he'd rushed home from holiday to take charge of the situation. That's his job, you know. Um, his whole department was being accused of um, treating it not seriously. Uh, so he came home from holiday, but it was all about him coming home from holiday. Uh, thank you very much indeed to Gina as well for joining us and talking about a new year and a new you.